Good to have you back here on a Thursday afternoon, two and a half with you to go as we take you through the afternoon along with Adrian Bratis. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Good to have you. Great to have you. Let's not lie. We love you. Especially as we are getting close to the holiday weekend. No show next Monday for us. But don't worry, we'll be back strong Tuesday and getting ready to give you everything we've got for you on the show. That's for sure. By the way, Tuesday of next week, that'll be the uh, rare three-hour Tuesday edition of the program. That's the way it should be. Hey, if we're not on the air for next Monday, then you should at least have three hours of us the day we come back. I mean, you don't want to shortchange the show. Nobody wants to shortchange the show. That's exactly right, Steve. Uh, I'm look, First off, I'm looking forward to the three-day weekend, but I'm also looking forward to coming back stronger than ever. Uh, and this is the the heat of the summer. I'm excited about it. There's a lot of good topics going out right now. Uh, Chihuahuas baseball in full swing, and fans will get a chance to experience some, uh, some great baseball this weekend and some hot temperatures here locally. That's right. It's heating up in El Paso. It is getting oh, yeah. hot. Yeah, it is. It def- it's, it's hot. It, you know you're, when you uh, have a little sweat just uh, walking out of the car? Uh, yeah, you know it's getting hot outside. I need to start watering the grass um, again because what happened was was that the grass didn't look good a couple weeks ago. Then we started flooding the grass. The grass looked great. Now it's getting hot again, and, and the grass is not looking as good. So, um, you know, it is very difficult in this city to water three days a week and expect your grass not to die. Uh, that's right, Steve. You have to water it so consistently here in El Paso. You do. But you got to follow instructions, and that's also tough because, again, even if you water heavily three days out of the week, there's four days of 95-degree heat. What are you going to do then? You have no solution at that point because it's so hot, and it's just so dry right now here in the city. Now, I'm afraid to say we need rain because last year when I said that, man, we we got more than just rain here in El Paso. We did. We got lots, lots. By the way, you're now a homeowner. That's right. Do you have a lot of grass in the house? <laughs> no, I don't. So I need to lay down some grass and, uh, yeah, get the backyard looking good. But uh, so there's room for grass. There's there's definitely room for grass, Steve, and there's room for growth in this home. There you go. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Hey, uh, so during the show today, we're going to hear from Chris Carlin. He is the new co-host on ESPN Radio from 1 o'clock to when we go on the air, along with Chris Canty. It's Canty and Carlin. We'll have Chris on the show. Uh, Chris has spent his entire career in the New York area making a name for himself, and now uh, he'll join us uh, coming up in about 15 minutes from now. Then we've got Bernie Olivas at 4.30, bottom of the 4 o'clock hour. They've got news. And if that's not enough, Cody Decker at 5. Did you see what Cody Decker did today on Instagram? No, but uh, no, no, no. What did he do? Live BP at Dodger Stadium. Wow. Okay, I thought that was uh, live BP. I just didn't want to assume that was the case. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I loved it. I don't know if you watched it, but I loved his commentary on I it. I did. You know, you know who threw BP at Dodger Stadium no, today? No, who was it? Kurt Gross from Powerball Bats. No way. Yes. Wow, that is so cool. I did not know this. That's like a bucket list item. Yes, for any anybody, any baseball fan out there. I would have flown into L.A. today and joined Cody if I knew I could have taken some hacks at Dodger Stadium. Oh, man. Yeah, of course. In it- fact, he's got to do that again, and I want to get over there. I'll bring my Powerball. I'll take my hacks. 
I don't care. I just want to. I want to. How cool would it be to be on the field at Dodger Stadium and take a, and take a swing? Well, it's it's exactly what you just said. It's a bucket list type of uh, sure. thing right there. And I mean, just to get on the field to to experience everything before the game action. You can hear Vin Scully's voice in your head as you're swinging a bat. That's like you know, childhood. You just comes out if you if you're yes. able to do something like this. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So. I think I've taken BP at Southwest University Park like once, but never like full BP. It was one of those media home run derby contests, and my best uh, shot was kind of like I pulled it down the right field line and um, foul, but it was deep. It was a, it was really a well-hit ball, but, I mean, I couldn't even imagine going to a place like Dodger Stadium and taking your hacks. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, you get to do it where everybody else gets to do it and just kind of seeing everything before it happens. That's when I love to go to stadiums. I don't know about you, but like when I'm going to a stadium, sometimes, especially if it's my first time, I like to get there early to just yep. kind of soak everything in. And if you're doing that, if you're if you're taking BP at uh, Dodger Stadium, I mean, seriously, it's a bucket list item. It's amazing. So we'll talk to Cody about that. That's uh, very, very cool. He actually got to play the Dodgers when he was with the Padres. Nice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that was uh, that- small stint. Very small, but that's hey. Listen, you know I don't care if you get twelve at bats. Uh, that's still twelve more than anybody else ever gets. That's that's for sure. Oh, hundred percent. We dream of major league at bats, right? Yeah, you you dream of anything like that. If you're a sports fan, you dream of those moments right there that probably never go to you. And so for Cody Decker to get that uh, cup of coffee in baseball, hey, that's why uh, that's why he's our guy for all this stuff. You're right, hundred percent. So he'll join us at five today. We'll do Adrian's movie review on the show. We'll take your phone calls at five zero five six zero zero nine. That's 505-6009. Last night, listen, same, the NBA playoffs, it's a constant uh, topic of discussion because last night you had game five, pivotal game in Miami. Heat trying to take a 3-2 lead over the Celtics. And it was a defensive, ugly first half, 42-37. That was the halftime score. Uh, 37 points for the Celtics. They scored almost as many points in the third quarter as they scored in the first half. They outscored Miami 32-16, to took control of that basketball game, and they won 93-80. to 93-80 to was the final score. And again, when Jason Tatum plays well, the Celtics win. We talked about that earlier in the week on the show. That is the truth. I mean, when Tatum's off, the Celtics lose. When he's on, they win. He had a near triple-double yesterday, 22-12-9. That's a great line for the uh, forward who played 44 minutes. Terrific. And Jalen Brown was awesome with 25 points. And he had some daggers in that game. And Al Horford added 16. I mean, they didn't really get much production out of Marcus Smart. He only took five shots. And, um, you know, and also he wasn't alone, by the way, in that starting lineup. Uh, Robert Williams only took two shots. But they didn't need him. They had, they had Tatum and Brown. And ultimately, they were able to get the job done. 
Now they get to go back to Boston with a chance to close out this series. The the um, I, I guess the thing that impressed me the most from yesterday from Boston side of things, uh, Jalen Brown in the first half was non-existent. He turned it up in the second half and really helped out the Celtics to win that game. Uh, Jason Tatum, although he had that near triple-double, his five turnovers, they're very costly for the Celtics. And if they end up losing game six, I would really look at that turnover margin with the Celtics. I feel like they're way too, I, I guess they're, they have way too many uncharacteristic turnovers. But you look Look on the other side. Miami, it kind of seems like the end is is coming up. I mean, Butler's kind of playing on one leg. He's, yep. he, he had a terrible night yesterday. Four for 18 from the floor. And then Kyle Lowry. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that a lot of people really like him. And same with the Miami Heat. But he needs to be benched, Steve. He didn't do anything yesterday with the Miami Heat. And he was 0 for 6 in 25 minutes. I mean, that's the thing. You take six shots. You don't score. Uh, that is, that's, that's as bad as it gets. So you're right. Um, he only had he had no assists. Listen to this line: twenty five minutes of play, no points, no assists, one rebound, three turnovers, five fouls. That is awful. I mean, that is right. If that, how do you? I, I, you're right. He stays in the lineup because of name alone and because of his career. But you're not helping your case with games like that. And the truth is. When Jimmy Butler's shooting four out of eighteen, health, you know, healthy or not, you're not going to win too many games. So uh, this seems like Miami is just about ready to pack it in. And if so, hey, more power to the Celtics. They came back. They did what they had to do in this series. And now they're on the brink of joining the Warriors in the NBA Finals. If I were the Miami Heat for the next game, I would really think about throwing in Gabe Vincent in that role for Kyle Lowry and simply benching Lowry. I mean, it's sad to say right there because, you know, you you have him as one of your franchise type of players. He's one of your leaders in your in the locker room. But it's something something's not right. Either he just doesn't have it anymore, he's lost his step, or those injuries that he's been dealing with in the postseason have caught up to him. But whatever it is right now, uh, Kyle Lowry's virtually virtually unplayable right now. Again, sad to say, he's a great player in the NBA. He's just he just does not have it in this series. Well, he averaged 13 and a half points, 7 and a half, seven and a half assists per game this year in league. He was 10th in the league in assists. And you know what? He's also 36 years old. And you wonder, as you said earlier, has Father Time finally caught up with Kyle Lowry? And I think that's the case. I would rather, you know, and another thing that's kind of hanging over the Miami Heat is they don't have Tyler Hero to kind of relieve their backcourt in some scoring efforts and stretches. And you're having to rely on guys like, again, Gabe Vincent and uh, Duncan Robinson, who's played sparingly this entire playoffs. Where was Victor Oladipo yesterday? He couldn't shoot yesterday. He was uh, inefficient from the floor. And then defensively, you know, he didn't really do much either. He had four turnovers yesterday. So the Heat just did not get anything from their their main guys yesterday at home. They had a perfect opportunity to win game five, and now the Celtics can close it out in six. While we had another El Stinko NBA ch- uh, playoffs game, the NHL delivered another classic last night out there in Denver with the Avalanche on the brink of uh, knocking off the Blues. St. Louis, though, showing a lot of fight. Three in the third, forcing overtime. They get the overtime winner. They beat Colorado five to four to at least uh, bring this to a sixth game. Then they also get a chance to go back now to St. Louis for a chance to try to force a seventh game. Um, We say it all the time. If you want playoff drama and you want great quality action, watch the NHL postseason. It's just, it's a fact. The NHL playoffs are so good. And last night's game had 
everything you could possibly imagine, and then some. So, you know, St. Louis, ton of credit because they could have packed it in, especially uh, in the third. They didn't do it. They showed tons of fight, tons of heart. And uh, as great as Colorado is, Colorado's the best team in hockey right now. Uh, St. Louis lived to play another day. That is why I love the NHL playoffs. Yeah, it was over. This game was done in in the third period. It was 3-1. to one. Colorado was excited. Their fans were pumped. And then the Blues stormed back. And now when, when the Blues cut it to 3-2, to two, I, I still thought in my head, well, the Avalanche are probably still going to win this game. And then the Blues get that last goal, tie it up, and uh, and everything you know goes cr- everything goes crazy for the, uh, the Avalanche. And it's a 4-4 tie going into overtime. And the Blues uh, finish it out in overtime. That's amazing. Nathan McKinney. Kinnan had the hat trick in this one for the Avalanche. Yeah, and they still lose. I, I can't believe it, Steve. I mean, you have a excellent performance and so early into the into the game, uh, the Avalanche just had to hold on to that lead and they just couldn't do that. Well, listen, you blow a 3-0 lead, and this is another problem with hockey and, and all sports for that matter, okay? Just like in the NFL, when you go into prevent defenses when you're up big, Colorado went into a prevent when they led 3-0. And you cannot take the foot off the gas, even when you've got a three-goal lead in the middle of the second period, if that's your formula for success. You much would rather see your team lose playing the style it needs to play than lose because they were trying to play not to lose, and that's what they ended up doing. And that's pretty much the story yesterday for Colorado. You just can't go into a prevent when you got a 3 nothing lead, you're on the attack, the Blues are on their heels, and instead you drop into your own defensive zone and you, and, and you just dump the puck in and you give St. Louis life when they were essentially dead and wiped out. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of what could have happened in that game four between the Oilers and the Flames. Uh, the Oilers were up 3 nothing in that game, and in the second period, the Flames came back with two goals. So you thought, wow, is Edmonton going to lose this game and allow Calgary back in this? Well, they were able to hold strong. That's the that's the opposite version. When you're up like yeah. that, when you have a two-goal lead or even a you know, three-goal lead, it's a no-brainer. you got to hold on. These are the playoffs. you got to hold on and win that game. Renee just texted into the program regarding Kyle Lowry. He said he looks like a fat YMCA player. It's kind of like James Harden. Pretty much. There you go. Uh, Except Harden still produces. He still gets it done somehow. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. That's right. All right. Good job, Renee. Hey, you can tweet the show, 600 ESPN El Paso. You can call in, 505-6009. But up next, after Charlie won, Chris Carlin from ESPN Radio will join us right here. Sports Talk in 600. It's ESPN El Paso. Welcome back, everybody. As we continue here on Sports Talk, we are so excited about having Chris Carlin join us next. In fact, uh, just last month, they announced that uh, ESPN Radio was going to be adding Canty and Carlin to the permanent lineup. So uh, he leads off before we get on the air at 4 o'clock. And uh, from 1 to 4 each and every day, you get a chance to listen to uh, Canty and Carlin here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Chris, uh, welcome aboard and uh, great to have you on today. How are you? I'm great, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing really well. Although, I'll be honest with you, uh, it's been a tough day. The news of Ray Liotta is obviously hit close to home for me. Uh, Goodfellas, one of my all-time faves. He was Shoeless Joe in Field of Dreams. He was in so many other classics as well. And uh, tough for anybody who just loves uh, great acting. Uh, Ray Liotta, one of the best. Oh, he was absolutely tremendous. And he was just in 
the the many saints of Newark that the movie based on uh, the Sopranos is a prequel that came out, and he was that. Uh, it's funny. I I'm a Jersey guy. I grew up in New Jersey and uh, have lived there basically all of my life. And I used to see him at the Starbucks near my house probably eight nine years ago, pretty consistently, and I always kind of was in awe. I mean. You know him and and you know and uh, Goodfellas is just an iconic iconic movie and role. Man, I was bummed out. You shared me the the news with me a few minutes ago, and man, I was bummed out to hear it. I don't blame you. I think we all are, and everybody is. It's going to be a tough one, but um, you know, sports goes on. Um, I want to ask you about the NBA playoffs because we talked a lot about this the last couple of days. That as we watch these Eastern and Western Conference Finals, and really the playoffs in general. Uh, a lot of people feel like it's unwatchable because of the way the game is turned around with all the three-point shooting, how much it's changed, all the blowouts that we now see on a regular basis. You know, these are the four best teams in the playoffs. We should be looking, we should be watching close games and not 20, 30-point blowouts on a regular basis. Do you get the same sense that for a lot of basketball fans that grew up watching the sport, whether it was in the 60s, 70s, even 80s or 90s, Chris, they're having a really hard time with watching uh, today's game? You know, I don't know if it's today's game or if it's just this year in particular because it has been so bad. Like, we've seen it trending this way over the last several years with the three-point shot. And it's exciting. I, I Don't get me wrong. I love the three in the game. I think it's tremendous. But the game has shifted so far in that direction that earlier today I, I had – Ask somebody to look up this stat for me. You know, of the teams in the playoffs this year that have lost a game by 10 points or more, what is their average, what, what is the collective average three-point shooting from those teams that have lost games by 10 points or more? It's 29%. I mean, that's awful. So just to give you a frame of reference, only two teams in the last 20 years have shot less than 30% from three for an entire season. I mean, that's, that's bad. You're going to lose games. You're going to lose them badly. You look at the Celtics last night. They hold the heat to seven for 45 from three. and missed 38 threes in a game. It's something that I think the league is going to be very, very cognizant of in the next year or two. Because if you keep running into these blowouts, there are going to be some unhappy television partners about that who have felt like they've spent their money on something that people can check out on at halftime. And obviously we all know that's not going to work. Kevin Durant and the Nets front office have not spoken since their season ended. The New York Daily uh, Post actually wrote yesterday. Uh, this is all stemming from Kyrie's looming extension. What do you think uh, comes out of this over the summer? I think it's a great question. You know, with Kyrie, you cannot give Kyrie Irving a max contract. You're nuts if you do. Uh, you have just seen the last two years, not just about the vaccination stuff. Um, you know, that aside, whatever your beliefs are, wasn't with the team. And then you look back to the year before, he took two weeks off without even really telling anybody. And then you hear that Durant hasn't spoken to the team. My feeling on Durant is, there needs to be a whole lot more communication on his part with the team because it feels like that's not really happening right now. Um, and I don't think it's because Kevin is 
you know, wanting to get out or anything like that. I think it's just check it out while. Well, you know, Sean Marks, the GM, came out last week and had some pretty strong words about Kyrie. I find it hard to believe that KD would not have known about that in advance, but, you know, the communication has got to improve on Durant's part, on Kyrie's part, because they both wanted to come here and theoretically win a championship. Well, we need to see that that's really in, uh, you know, at the top of their list of things to do at this point. I think for Durant, coming to Brooklyn was, you know, doing it on his own was an important thing for his legacy, but we haven't exactly seen that play out well so far. So the communication has got to be better here. Chris Carlin uh, with us here on Sports Talk as we continue one half of Canty and Carlin, which airs before us on ESPN Radio. Um, Give me a feel of what it's like right now. Uh, Coming up in just a little bit, Rangers and Hurricanes getting ready for a huge Game 5. Rangers are down 0-2. They win their last two at the Garden. Now they're back in Carolina. Uh, It's been a while since Ranger fans have had a chance to get excited about anything in hockey, Chris. What's the uh, pulse you're getting uh, around the New York area? Yeah, they're fired up. The you know the television ratings the other night. Uh, I'll be honest with you. During the regular season, hockey is a distant fourth in the big four sports, as it generally is in the country. But in TV ratings, it really comes across. But uh, you know they have been elevated quite a bit. Number one the other night in the New York market over the Yankees over the Mets. Like that's that's doing something. And I I think there's a lot of excitement around the Rangers right now that they have evened up this series. And it's funny, you know, we all say the same thing as sports fans. We love hockey when it gets to the playoffs. And it's got, it's got a different level of, level of energy to it, especially when you're in the building. There is a palpable hue, if you will, of, of anticipation among the fans for Game 5 and for getting fired up for the rest of the Ranger playoff run. You mentioned uh, baseball with the Mets and Yankees. Yankees have the best record in baseball right now, 31-13. and 13. Mets uh, are right behind them. They got a seven-game lead over the Braves. Good time if you're a New York baseball fan, especially uh, with these two playing so well. Yeah, specifically with the Mets. You know, they haven't had Jacob DeGrom all year. Max Scherzer just got hurt last week, and they're in the position that they are. Now, you know, they have to find a way to weather that storm with the Yankees. Giancarlo Stanton just got a little bit banged up. Uh, DJ LeMahieu's been banged up now. Uh, they've done a great job uh, to get out to a terrific record to start the season. So I think New York fans in baseball haven't had a ton to feel great about the last few years, but you know they've had a good first couple of months of the year. But we've seen a lot of teams do that over the first couple of months. It'll be interesting to see how they hold up. Chris, you've been at this a long time. What's it like knowing you get a chance to uh, spend your afternoons with uh, Chris Canty every day on ESPN Radio? Let me tell you something. It's, it's awesome. I mean, Chris is just a tremendous guy, incredibly smart. Uh, I learn something from him every day. And at the same time, like I have always said, if you let me be an idiot, I will thrive. And Chris lets me be an idiot. So we're having a lot of fun together. It's been a blast so far. Hey, we enjoyed it, Chris. Looking forward to the next time we get to chat. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it so much. Chris Carlin, folks, again, 1-4. to four, Right before we hit the air, it's uh, Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Coming back with more right after Adrian. He's got this bottom-of-the-hour Sports Center update. 
out to, to Chris Carlin from uh, Canty and Carlin, which precedes us here on uh, ESPN Radio. Right now, I want to jump back out to the phones and say hello to this man. He's Bernie Olivas, Executive Director, Sun Bowl Association, and the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Joins us uh, throughout the football season for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl Watch, which, believe it or not, folks, is only about three months away, right around the corner. But we heard the news today that we've got a start time. CBS is back. And, Bernie, welcome back to the show. Good to have you on. Oh, it's great to be back, Steve. Uh, it's good to be talking a little football, even though we're right in the middle of baseball season. But, uh, yeah, you know, we're less than 100 days away from college football. And we're, you know, at Stumble Office, we're excited all year round. But, yeah, we, uh, we made the announcement today of our game is back. Is back at the regular scheduled time, even though we're moving it back one day to, uh, to December the 30th, which is a Friday, which is, a, I think to me, it's the second best day for a college football game. But that kind of takes us away from the semis like we were this last year that forced us to, to move the game to 10 o'clock kickoff. So uh, we're going to be back. and We're excited. I think if I had a choice... Between 10 a.m. New Year's Day on a Saturday or noon on uh, the 30th of December, yeah, I'd probably uh, not want to try to compete uh, with uh, with the championship, uh, the semis, and instead uh, just go back to that conventional 12 o'clock time. Oh, absolutely! But you know what? Uh, I this was you know this was me <laughs> when. You know, I thought we were going to be again on, on December 31st at 10 o'clock at 10 o'clock because I thought that because uh, I knew that the semis going to be played that game, and then I got a call that the, the Sugar Bowl had moved into the December 30th. And they moved from the second to the 31st at 10 o'clock El Paso time, and I go, we're not going to don't want to compete against against one of the New Year's Six. So I got a little I got a little scared there. So I called CBS and we talked about it. And uh, they said, let's look, look at the contract. And actually, contractually, we were scheduled on, on December the 30th for this year. So it worked out It worked out well. That's what our contract says. We're going to go back to noon kickoff. Gives everybody a couple more hours to be able to, you know, to tailgate before the game and, uh, and, and get up and have a little breakfast and still have a great time. And uh, looking forward to it. Uh, we're excited. And, uh, geez, I can't tell you how, how happy we are. At the same time, Bernie, there was never really any doubt about uh, CBS televising the game, correct? No, no, no. We're we're, we're in the contract. Uh, we're in the contract for uh, through twenty five, so we still have them. We still have them for a while, but uh, uh, yeah, that you know, our contract is a long term contract. This is our just as our ACC and the Pac twelve contracts are 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 going to expire at the same time. So. So we're safe for good, you know. So we're safe for for a few years, and that makes me breathe a little easier as well. I don't blame you. And I think the biggest news is that today was the day where every bowl was able to unveil their dates and times. I think that's probably the most important thing, right? Because it starts it starts on the 16th of December. You got the Nassau, uh, the Bahamas Bowl, which kind of kicks everything off. And then later that day, there's the, um, I believe it's the Cure Bowl. And then um, all the way, you know, all the way down to the college football playoff, which will end January the ninth in Inglewood. What's interesting is that the only bowl game that they did not confirm a day and time, believe it or not, is the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. Yeah, you know, and and uh, Mark Neville, the executive director, and I have really good friends, and uh, spoke to him, and uh, they're still they're still working on their TV deal. 
on their TV deal, and uh, and so they don't have a date yet. But uh, I would assume that they're going to play on the 30th in the evening as well. That's what I would assume. But uh, but we are we are in a terrific slot. Uh, love that slot. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a game that starts ahead of us about two hours and then one that starts after us two hours. So we're in a pretty good slot. And, of course, ESPN released, uh, you know, since they televised most, uh, uh, ESPN and ABC televised most of the bowl games, uh, except, like you said, uh, uh, the, the Holiday Bowl, uh, the, uh, the the Tucson Bowl, the Arizona Bowl, and us are the only ones that are, are not on the ABC at uh, ESPN network. So that's right. Uh, they announced their, they announced all their games, and of course, they, you know, they included our game, which is on, on the thirtieth. So uh, I think we're all set, except for um, except for uh, for the Holiday Bowl. And there's another game I did not see, or I don't remember seeing the San Francisco Bowl. I think they're going to come back. Okay. Uh, and one of the reasons I think the Holiday Bowl has been announced, I think they're looking for a good slot. I, like I said, they're really good friends and good partners. Uh, but, you know, I feel bad because they've gone two years without a game uh, due to COVID. And uh, so I think they're just trying to work things out. But, uh, you know, they're a great bowl. They do a great job over there, as, as most bowls do. Uh, so uh, they're the only ones that haven't announced their, their time slot. Bernie, there are currently 41 bowls that are scheduled right now, and, and maybe it's 42 like we're talking about right now. Do you think that's the, the right number to kind of stick around, or do you think that, um, you, you know, I, I mean, I guess opinions aside, we might end up seeing more than 42, but do you think that number 41, 42 is the right number? You know, before you know, before they allowed so many bowls, you know, I, I was, obviously, you know, we've been around for a long time. As, as the bowl number increased, I was a little concerned. But if it, it, you know they, they did a really good job of, of uh, researching this, and I think that is the perfect number. Uh, only one or two times have the Bulls not had uh, uh, an, an opponent that was not at least uh, at 500. Uh, there's been a, just a couple of times that uh, they've gone to have to go to a five and seven teams to fill the Bulls. So yes, that's uh, that's a that's a good number for Bulls and every. Uh, every team that is uh, that is at 500 or better will be allowed, to, you know, can play in the bowl game, and that's that's great for the student athletes. You know, it's great for the universities. It's great for the cities that hold these bowls, uh, that holds these bowls. So, yeah, I think I think that's a really good number. And of the 43 that we're talking about, okay, one of them is a championship game. So uh, that one moves around, uh, that moves around the country, not necessarily in bowl cities. In both cities, but that, uh, but that's you know. So actually, there's 42 bowls, which that's 84 teams, and that's about the same, about the right number of teams that uh, that have over the over the years have qualified by being at least 500. Fernie Olivas with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. You've already met now with the Pac-12 and the ACC over the last uh, few weeks as uh, their annual meetings uh, have come and gone. Uh, any news to share regarding that? No, everybody's everybody's excited. Everybody wants to get back to again normal. You know, COVID still had played a big part in the bowl games this year. Uh, The military bowl has not played in two years. Uh, The holiday bowl has not played in two years. Uh, Fenway has been has not played for three years. Uh, They've they've been trying to kick off that bowl game up at Fenway Park and haven't been able to do it because of COVID. Of course, uh, you know, we were fortunate that, uh, you know, the Arizona Bowl lost a team at the very last minute. We were fortunate to be able to uh, 
to get uh, Central Michigan once that Miami couldn't come because of COVID. So, uh, so I, I think we're, we're fine. The, the, the conferences are excited about playing football. I like going to those meetings. You get to talk to all the coaches. You get to talk to uh, you get to talk to athletic directors. Uh, as a matter of fact, you get to talk to some basketball coaches as well. And the ACC has a lot of good basketball teams. So we get to get to speak to a lot of them. But they're very good meetings, and uh, and that's what's about. Everybody's excited. Uh, of course, the big you know the big uh, topic of conversation is the, the transfer portal, and of course NIL and how that's going to affect. The football teams. I think. I think the uh, the opt outs is what affects bowl games more now than anything else. But that's a big topic of conversation. That's going to be a topic for quite some time. Uh, I know that, uh, like I said, we here at UTEP have experienced some transfer portal uh, situations, and uh, I, I think that has a lot of coaches uh, concerned because uh, if you go recruit somebody, you don't know if you're going to have them for one year, two years, or or all five years or four years. So. That's a big. That was a big conversation at both uh, at both league meetings. So we'll see how that irons out uh, in the near future. Bernie Oliva is with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Before I wrap things up, I also saw earlier in the week you announced the return of the flag football tournament. Sounds like this year uh, the second annual could be bigger and better than ever. Oh, I I have no doubt it will be. Uh, you know, we went ahead and 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 ran the tournament last year. Uh, in spite of the fact that of, of the COVID situation, but uh, we handled it well, and we did lose a lot of teams because of COVID. But I think uh, I think the way the Sun Bowl runs and the way uh, you know Joe Dalvik and the staff and everybody runs the uh, r- runs the events, I think everybody was extremely happy. They said they couldn't wait to get back, and I think the word has started to spread of how well this tournament is run, and expecting quite a few teams, and hopefully we'll bring a lot of out of town teams you know, to bring some uh, heads to beds here in El Paso. Awesome. Excited about that for you, Bernie. Congratulations on the announcement. And, uh, hey, before you know it, it's uh, Sun Bowl watch time. We're excited about having you back with us uh, coming up here in a couple months. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait, Steve. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me. Bernie Olivas, folks, 18 in front of five. More in a moment as Sports Talk continues. Cody Decker, 20 minutes away on 600 ESPN El Paso. Once again, for our new sponsored Adrian's Movie Review. Steve, uh, you know, we have been waiting for this movie review for a while. And I got to give credit to Alamo Drafthouse. Thank you so much for Alamo Drafthouse sponsoring the movie reviews on a daily basis. The best place to watch movies. Talking about classics on this show. How about uh, the sequel coming out this weekend? The Top Gun sequel that's coming out on uh, the Montecillo location and the East location of Alamo Drafthouse. You can get tickets online today at drafthouse.com. Slapshot is my movie today, Steve. I know how highly anticipated this has been. About uh, time. Yeah, yeah, seriously, about time. Um, you know, if you want to try to watch this movie, you can find it on Voodoo TV. You can find it on Peacock for free to stream if you got a premium subscription. And you could also watch it on YouTube. Uh, this takes place out in Charlestown, a fake town out in Pennsylvania. They're about to lay off 10,000 workers in this town. But man, Reggie Dunlop, he is my new favorite hockey character of all time, Steve. Paul Newman, uh, he he showed up for this film like no other. And of course, it's about this terrible, terrible junior hockey team that just can't find any kind of success. 
Well, they start playing a little bit more physical in their style of play, and then success comes their way. It's the Hanson brothers who help them out. I love their getup. I love their outfits. I like the hair. I like the glasses. What what can't you like about these guys? They bring it every game. Fans love the violence. Fans start going to these games instead of hating this team. Uh, and the star player in Ned, he doesn't like the physicality. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to play that way. So uh, the brawls just continue game after game. My favorite scene was uh, the brawl that happened before the match even. St- I mean, the game even started. So before the faceoff even happened, uh, they went crazy. I mean, it was just a brawl. And then the best part was the ref goes up to one of the Hanson brothers and says, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you guys out the second you do something bad." And it's during the national anthem. So the Hanson brother, he says, he tells him, hey, I'm trying to listen to the bleeping song. It was so, that that part was so funny. I was dying. Um, By the way, great skating acting, Steve. I I thought that was very admirable out of this whole movie. Um, You know, the whole whole season goes along. Uh, Of course, Dunlop lies to the team, says that they they might be purchased out in Florida. Owner actually wants to sell the team for a tax write-off. Turns out, in the end, they go up against Syracuse, which, by the way, that Syracuse team was hilarious, getting the goons on the team. Uh, Yeah, I I thought that was funny, kind of as as a rival team that you could go up against at the end well uh Syracuse gets uh gets disqualified in the final game and uh you know the Chiefs end up uh, progressing after that well the Chiefs end up folding as a program but it doesn't matter because Dunlop gets a player coach job out in Minnesota and takes the whole team with him uh got a couple trivia points Steve many of the players out of out of this film including the Hansons brothers, they played on the Johnston Jets, which is real interesting. This movie was actually based off this Johnston Jets team that ended up folding. It was a minor league hockey uh, team, and it was originally going to be a documentary about uh, North American hockey and especially the junior hockey ranks, which were very violent and very physical. Uh, so that's what it was initially going to be. And then the one of the things that I found very interesting – Al Pacino was supposed to be uh, the main character of this film. How about that? And instead, they give it to Paul Newman. Uh, Newman killed it. So I don't know how oh, much yeah. better Pacino could have been. No, I thought Pacino would have been too serious. Yep. It wouldn't be. Yep. It wouldn't have been as funny. That's Steve, right. this is the best hockey film I've ever seen, hands down. And there's some great. There's some great hockey films out there. Uh, this one gets the golden banana for me. Ten out of ten, without a doubt. Hilarious film. Uh, I'm so happy that you and Cody Decker uh, recommended this to me. Oh, happy you appreciate the movie. It's time. Slapshot, folks. The golden banana, the rarity from Adrian. Speaking of deck, he'll join us next. Cody Decker leading off our 5 o'clock hour via Zoom as Sports Talk continues. Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had this man back on the program. So happy to have him join us from his home studio in uh, Southern California. Uh, a man that uh, made El Paso his home for the last few years. And he joins us once again uh, on Sports Talk. He is none other than Cody Decker. Deck, great to see you, and uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us here via Zoom. No, it is my pleasure, Steve. It's almost like I haven't left. It's almost like I still live in your guest room, as I was doing as recently as two months ago. I love your guest room, Steve. Love your family. Love you. You're the greatest roommate I've ever had. I appreciate that. The feeling's mutual, and uh, that room just doesn't feel the same anymore. It's weird that it's now uh, not being occupied during the week like it was for so long. It's uh, it's a little strange for us, uh, to be honest. 
Uh, well, you know what? At least you have all my passwords to all my apps, and I get to wake up every morning to see what uh, Diary of a Wimp Kid uh, your son has been watching on all of my platforms. It's all over my Apple TV. I love it. It's, again, like I never left. The gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Cody's uh, passwords to all of his online video accounts. That is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Very nice. Allegedly, Netflix. Allegedly. There you go. That's right. Hey, by the way, uh, you did something earlier today on Instagram that seems like a bucket list for anybody out there. And, and you might even put yourself in that mix because you had a chance earlier today to take batting practice at Dodger Stadium. I don't want to sit here and toot my own horn and brag, but it's not my first time. <laughs> Made it to the big leagues. Uh, no, on top of that, it was uh, I was able to bring some friends out with me as well. This was a scenario where uh, an ex-college teammate of mine uh, named uh, Michael Shepard uh, Shepherd, uh, called me, and uh, he had a spot for MLB, MLB. They needed me to go and put together a group of guys that could hit home runs and test out the radar system at Dodger Stadium because they'd never hosted a home run derby before. So they had to have all the track man stuff, all the player comps on the wall, on the wall. So up on the uh, video boards, they had our player comps and they were giving us our miles per hour, our distance, launch angle, exit velocity, all that. Uh, and then we were playing real home run derby rounds so they could prepare all the uh, radar systems for it. So it was great. Got to hit a bunch of dingers, flew in a few friends from El Paso that I was working with over there at Bimo Lead Athletics. Brent Dean flew into town. Uh, John uh, Figueroa, catcher out of uh, out of Horizon, came, came over and uh, did some work. It was great to have him there. He hit some bombs at Dodger Stadium. Will Gross and his father, Kurt, came out. Kurt from Powerball Bats cut some custom bats for the whole experience. Will took some swings. He has got no pop. He just barely, barely hit a couple of ground rule doubles, but... Listen, you're not lying. Hitting a Dodger Stadium, it's a borderline bucket list thing. I got there this morning at 7 a.m., and even me as an ex-player, someone who's played on that field but grew up in L.A., there's something about walking on a major league stadium. It's just there's there's something different about it. It's very cool. It's sacred ground is what it is. It really is. Sacred ground when you start to think about where you were and what uh, history that ballpark has experienced ever since it was built in the mid-60s, early to mid-60s. And you're 100% right. I mean, Dodger Stadium now has got to be right around 60 years old, maybe a little less than that. But it, it's held up through the test of time, Deck. Oh, yeah, and it's beautiful, and it was great. Hitting out some of the uh, T-Mobile two-colored balls today. Had to get those tested out. Um, mostly hitting off of a uh, normal batting practice baseballs, you know, kind of an older batch of baseballs. So some of these balls weren't traveling quite the distance you would have wanted, but it was really nice when we got to hit those magenta T-Mobile balls. Fresh, fresh, really tight home run derby balls. Yeah. Let's just say I miss hit one far and then, then the next ball was a normal regular baseball and I absolutely annihilated it and it went maybe two rows over the left center field wall. How many home runs did you end up hitting in the uh, mock home run derby competition today? Um, I did three rounds total, so I probably hit about maybe 15 home runs. Um, and here's what the thing is. We did, we did them live, so you got to understand. It goes two minutes straight. Timer starts. We didn't even do the 30-second break in between. They just needed to test the radar. So it was two minutes straight, rapid fire. At first minute, you are gassed by the time you get to the end of that first minute. So you got to kind of find a rhythm. And that's the other thing. The pitching side of it is a rhythm as well. Because the time is a clock. You don't really get a chance to get out. You have to swing at the pitches that are thrown to you. And if the pitches are not thrown in the zone, 
Kirk Rose threw me the second round for the 30-second tiebreaker round, and, you know, I had to take some pitches, and those three pitches cost me 10 seconds, understandably so. So it's a unique experience, not only for the hitter, but the pitcher as well. Well, you chronicled this uh, up uh, on your Instagram account, and uh, a lot of that video is still there for people to check that out if they haven't done so already, and they should because it is very cool. And it sounds to me that this will not be a regular thing for you. This was more of a one-off because of the circumstances surrounding it, and yet uh, for those lucky few that got to join you, it's probably a memory that they'll keep with them for the rest of their lives. Well, the good news is is it's not a one-off for me. I get to do this again next month as well to help them prepare for the Home Run Derby a little bit closer to it. Can I I join you? You know what? Yes, you could. Steve, I will have you come out and join me because here's the thing. It's going to get a little bit closer because it wasn't just Major League Baseball that was there. ESPN, of course, was there. They were testing out new cameras, uh, high frame rate cameras. There's a great video of me with a 500 uh, rate per second camera of me hitting a home run to left field, and the visual is just stunning. So I'm looking very forward to posting that both on Instagram and Twitter later today as well. That sounds amazing, Cody. It really does. So I thought this would be just a one-off thing for you. So you get to come back and do it again before they host the All-Star Game. Uh, Again, if you've never, if you've been out to Dodger Stadium, you know what the experience is like. But being on the field, it's just just a different feeling. It really is. Now, you've lived on, on baseball stadium fields for Really, the last, uh, what, 15 years almost, ever since you started playing uh, college through the pros and your whole life you've been living. But it's a little different when, as we said, you're in the uh, the big league park. What was Kurt like throwing BP? We've had him on the show quite a bit. How did he do? Really, really well, believe it or not. Kurt Gross is a very good BP pitcher, especially... And I'm not going to lie to you, and this is something I didn't prepare the other hitters for. There is a little anxiety getting into that batter's box. Even John Figueroa, who's a very, very talented hitter, he swung and missed at two pitches because there's something about taking batting practice with batting practice speed pitches with no tunnel over your head and a wide open space. It's a very different experience. So it's actually exceedingly tricky, not to mention there is a little bit of an anxiety about getting into a big league batter's box. The first thing that everybody wants to do is go and yank the ball, try to down the down the line. And it's very difficult to pull that off. So to be able to get your bearings and your get your wits about you to be able to not only go out there and swing the bat and perform, even with the few people that were there, it was only like 100 people that were there, maybe less. And most of them were up in the booth handling all the equipment. But it was just it's phenomenal how well he threw BP in basically a high pressure spot. And he did phenomenal, really. If I were to do a home run derby tomorrow, I might call Kurt Gross to throw it. Now, you've been in home run derbies before in minor league, uh, in your mm-hmm. minor league career. I know that. But using baseballs that will be used for the All-Star Game weekend, especially the special balls, like you mentioned, is there a noticeable difference, as you talked about earlier, when you connect on one? Listen, I don't want to sit here and tell you what to do on the gambling lines when it comes to the home run derby when it eventually comes on. But all I have to say is whatever it is, whatever it is, take the over, take the over. I don't care what it is. A million home runs over. Take the over. I miss hit a ball 430 feet and then obliterated a regular baseball 379 feet. I can't stress this enough. Take the over. So many home runs are going to be hitting the home run derby. And also Peter Alonso is going to win it. Did you keep one of the special balls as a souvenir from today? 
I did. Of course I did. Got to get my hands on one of them T-Mobile two-tone balls. And by the way, that's the other tricky thing about it. Yeah, those balls are a little bit uh, tighter, maybe a little juiced. It's home run derby. The balls, you know, it's a level playing field for everyone. I don't care if the ball's juiced or yes. dead as long as they're all using the same ball. Uh, but what's amazing about this ball is because it is two-toned. It's, you know, you know how a baseball is when it's stitched together. It's two pieces of leather and the type of figure eight dime, uh uh, shape it's in tied together. Well, one of these is pink. The other one is white. Seeing a pink and white ball thrown at you mm. is almost it's almost unnerving because you're only seeing 50% of the baseball and it's spinning in a certain way that it honestly looks like you're swinging at an off speed pitch based on the spin. So that takes a kind of a second to do. But if you make contact with that ball, it will go a million feet. I love it. And by the way, it used to be gold and white, right? Mm -hmm. So they've changed it now. Is this going to be the first year it's pink and white? I think they did it pink the other year the, when T-Mobile really started coming in, I believe. But don't don't quote me on that. I have to go back and look at that. But it's tricky, man. It, it's a little interesting. But, it, man, was it, is it cool? It's that very is, cool. That is phenomenal. All right. And by the way, did you, did you win today? Did you win the mock home run derby? Um, we weren't really playing for real, but the answer is yes. I'm the only guy that was really hitting several home runs. Brent Dean of Bible Elite Athletics, he hit a few homers. Figueroa hit a few homers. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it was pretty much me hitting hitting bombs. Uh, 15 bombs is like, I'm not really counting, but I, I jacked 15 out and I hit one 430. Well, here's, I will tell you this. I took a couple of swings that were off the bat and I went like, that's gone. And I looked to left and they were caught at the warning track going like, mm. hmm, that ball's a little mushy then because that ball's gone. I know what it feels like to click a ball. What was your peak vo uh, exit velocity uh, on one of your shots? I do not know. I know in the first round, my highest one was 103.6. Okay. Um, second round, I probably got one a little bit better. Probably the third round, I probably hit my hardest ball, but I, I don't know. Probably around 105. My highest exit velo when I was playing that I know of was 114. Um, I don't remember who I was facing. It was a guy throwing 101, I believe. And oh. Anytime you get an exit velo over, I mean, exit velo over 91 can go over out of most ballparks at certain trajectories. But yeah, if you get a ball 100, 100 off the bat, it's gone it's, as long as you get in the air. Uh, that's fantastic. I love it. All right. Cody Decker joining us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. By the way, I was going to say uh, veteran radio host because you are, but you're, you're yeah. hosting so many shows right now. Uh, I, I can't keep up on Odyssey. Uh, you've got a few. Tell me about uh, what, what you're up to these days. Okay, so let's go through the list for Odyssey. Of course, I have a podcast called Big Time Baseball. I do that with John Heyman of MLB Network and Tony Gwynn Jr., former San Diego Padre and Milwaukee Brewer and Los Angeles Dodger. We do that show once a week every Monday. Sometimes it's me and Tony. Sometimes it's me and John. Sometimes it's all three of us. That's just how we're going on this rotation, but it's a great time. It's, we go in-depth into baseball, into the weeks of baseball. And then, of course, baseball has gotten really heavily entrenched into sports gambling along with every other sport. So I have multiple shows on the um, uh, BetQL network. One, I have the another podcast called the BetMGM MLB podcast powered by BetQL. That is also for MLB network. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That's I do, that one I do for BetMGM with Ryan Horvat, where we break down the lines of all the matchups of the week coming up and the weekend coming up. That comes out every Monday and every Friday. Not to mention on the BetQL network, you can catch me on Bet for the Cycle, which is a live show every Saturday, four hours live, where we watch and do live listen-ins, almost Mystery Science 3000 style, of uh, every Major League Baseball game. We go over live gambling lines. We, uh, we have an absolute blast. It's really just... Two dudes who love baseball more than anything talking about the gambling lines in the game live as we speak. And, of course, my show on 670 The Score in Chicago. 
Down the Line with Cody Decker, brought to you by Circuit Resort and Casino. That is on as the Cubs pregame show. I think I got another 60 episodes of that this season. And you can catch me on MLB Network all the time on pregame spread and better's eye. And of course, you can catch me on the Bally's Network. You can catch me on Live on the Line every week as well. That's also nationwide. So make sure you check me out. I'm all over TV now. This face, you get this face along with this voice. You lucky, lucky devils, you. <laughs> you know what's amazing to me? I still can't believe how many gambling shows you're doing. It just goes to show you how big sports betting has uh, become these last few years. It's amazing what it's actually bringing to the game and how it's bringing in certain fans and how it's, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of games and a lot of teams out there that you simply do not care about. Reds, Pirates immediately come to mind. The Detroit Tigers being a huge waste of all of our air at the moment. But because of the gambling lines, every one of these games absolutely has interest. Total base uh, lines, uh, not to mention a ton of props, pitcher props. I mean, there's just every single game has some intrigue and interest as long as you know where to look. Not to mention, I don't want to sit here and toot my own horn again, but toot, toot, because I am like 87% this year. I'm crushing my home run props. Home run props are is actually gambling. If you know what a home run prop is, it's basically you're just guessing on who's going to hit a home run that night. Yep. You can make any assumption you want, break down any numbers you want, but it's lofty as be- at best. I have been crushing. If you look on Twitter and uh, Instagram, I do bet MGM home run picks four days a week. Uh, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I think I have been over 60% on those. Man, I'm good. Are you at least profiting on yourself? Besides no. the money you're making, you're not even betting on your own on your own predictions. No, it's my job to tell you what to bet on. I don't want it. Right. I don't gamble all that much. I sit around talking about baseball and breaking down the game, and I get to repurpose it into the gambling lines because, quite frankly, it's just baseball analysis yeah. with a different spin on it. And quite frankly, it's a blast. So if you bet what Cody's advising you, you're going to do well. You're going to win. It's as simple as I that. Don't- I don't want to sit here and say that, but uh, if MLB Network is calling me their ga- a gambling expert, I think you guys should probably listen in. More with Cody as we continue. Uh, 17 past the hour here on Sports Talk. First, let's go to Charlie One and get this traffic update. Sports Talk as we continue. We're back with Cody Decker, who's the host of about 9,000 radio and television shows right now, most of them involving sports gambling. Um, he is doing everything was spending his morning out at Dodger Stadium. If you uh, follow Cody on Instagram, you can watch the videos and see all that. Uh, a lot of fun because a lot of El Pasoans also joined him for that trip, uh, and that was also profiled uh, on uh, on the show earlier. So that was really cool. And we talked a little baseball, by the way, with you, which is uh, a lot of fun. Chihuahuas play tonight, 6.30. The ageless Tim Haggerty will be calling the action. And, uh, Dak, uh, I'm sure of all the people you miss in El Paso, uh, listening to Haggerty, has got to be right up there with all of them. Tim Haggerty, I not enough words can be said about how much I love him, his bright smile that is overly natural, and his perfect, perfect diction that he stole from the uh, still alive, I realized, Vin Scully. I nearly said deceased, but he is not. I don't want to put that in the universe. Tim Sc- Vin Scully, please live forever. Tim Haggerty, uh, yeah, what a guy. Amazing announcer, wonderful person, um, you know, I think the city of El Paso got spoiled when they got their hands on him because I, I got to tell you, uh, Tim Haggerty should have been in the big leagues years ago. 
I, I thought this all the way back to his days in Portland in announcing. He's just got a great voice, great uh, cadence, and gets along with players well. I just not enough words that I can say about how great Tim Haggerty is. And somebody actually said made a nice comment my way in El Paso. It was Bob Moore, in fact. It was really kind of him to make a suggestion that if the Chihuahuas make a Hall of Fame, that I should be inducted. And I don't disagree entirely, but there are better names on the list. And the first name that came to my mind was Tim Haggerty. Tim Haggerty should probably be the first ever person ever inducted into the Chihuahuas Hall of Fame. Brad, Brad Taylor as well. But really, Tim Haggerty to me is the Chihuahuas. It's hard to induct current active employees into Halls of Fame. I mean, you are a former player, which then makes sense. It really does. So, you know, I, can, I definitely think Hags uh, and Brad and a lot of people will deserve their place when the time is right. But as a former Not, player, you know. On top of that, I think Haggerty eventually deserves a bronze statue in that booth someday. Like, that's what I that think. I think he's I think someday Hags is going to be just immortalized in El Paso as he should be, because truthfully, and I mean this, and if you're listening to this, Haggerty, I do not want you to let any of this go to your head, because I don't think you're talented at all. I, I, I it's just, I, I think you're the best. You really are great. You, you've been doing this for so long, and man, I can't think of a single El Paso moment without Tim Haggerty's voice being attached to it. You talk so much baseball each and every day and throughout the week, especially in Chicago, as well as nationally. You follow, you watch it all. Um so far through the first two months of the season, have you really enjoyed what you've had a chance to see as far as the quality of play on the field? Yes. Oh, man. The, the talent on the field this year has been phenomenal, but it's also been great to nitpick some of the talent that hasn't been great. For instance, the defense over in Philadelphia. I've been making fun of it for weeks because I won. I had to, got to watch it firsthand. I got to watch it firsthand with a, an assistant GM of a baseball team. We're sitting there putting our hands on our face going, my God. How is this a major league defense playing at the major league level? I've never seen a worse defensive professional team before. Um, there's been amazing watching some people uh, you know, be a disappointment thus far. There's been amazing things seeing guys go through the roof and get opportunities and take advantage of opportunities. I think about Chicago a lot. Someone like a Pete Schwindel or a uh, Patrick Wisdom, guys that were career minor leaguers getting an opportunity to play. Patrick Wisdom doing a good job. Pete Schwindel getting sent down called back up and immediately homering twice in his uh, recall up. I just, there are bright spots all over this game right now. And I, I just, I can't get enough of it. I'm watching 10, 15 games a day. It's not only because it's my job, but it's, I love it. It's just the best right now. I got, I got, I got five games on my TVs now. Oh, that's phenomenal. By the way, uh, rookie Julio Rodriguez is probably as as successful of any of the uh, tr true rookies this year in, in Major League Baseball. You've got Spencer Torkelson. He struggled a little bit for average, and we've seen some of the other guys like Bobby Wood Jr. up. And, you know, yet if you see watching Rodriguez play, it just seems like he's getting more and more comfortable every time uh, he takes, the, you know, takes uh, the batter's box in Seattle. And that's impressive considering considering uh, Kellenic has struggled so much these last couple of years in Seattle. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, it's it's a good sign because Seattle is a team that I did pick to win the AL West. They were sitting at plus 450 to start the year. I thought that was bonkers. This was a 90-win team last year that went out and got Adam Frazier, Jesse Winker, and Robbie Ray, and the team has underperformed 
exponentially. So that's a big problem over there in Seattle at the moment. Knowing that Rodriguez has been playing well is a good sign, considering the fact this team does need to turn it on at some point. I do think the Astros are going to come down to reality a little bit, and I think the Angels are going to come down to reality a little bit. I want the Angels to win, but I do not believe this is real. I've been telling people on shows to, yeah, keep playing them in the bets because they're hot right now, but when I tell people that, I do feel like an insur- uh, home uh, homeowner broker from like 2005 in Florida telling you, yeah, 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 so I'm going to take this house and you should get this house as well, fully aware that the bubble is about to burst and just around the corner. And that's what I think the Angels are. I just, I am not sold that it's real because their offense is so great. Their pitching is, has been great this year, but I can't imagine it's going to stay healthy all year long. Cody Decker with us here on Sports Talk. Did you expect the Mets to come out of the gates as good as they have been, especially without Jacob deGrom? Now they're without Max Scherzer. They've been without Tyler McGill. I mean, they're having to go deep into that rotation and try to keep it going. No, I think uh, I think this team is exactly where they should be. I think them losing to Grom and Scherzer at this point is a na- nasty, nasty hit. But they have some depth, which is good. And here's the other good news for the Mets. Their division has been terrible so far this year. The NL East has been a division that everybody thought was going to be like the AL East. Oh, man, defending World Series champions. Look at the Phillies getting their hands on Schwarber and Cassianos. The Marlins got one of the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball. And I'm, I, I heard that the Nationals are there. Um, but that's about it at the moment. And this is a team that's able to take advantage of everybody else's misfortune of playing terrible. The Braves are around 500. The Phillies are under 500. And it leaves the Mets to just dominate that division and they're dominating under the other divisions because their offense is just that good it's the first time in a long time that i truly feel like the mets are real meanwhile the padres have tried to keep themselves right in the middle of that race with the dodgers the giants it's been fun i mean if you look top to bottom the nl west is probably the most competitive division you're going to see in baseball this year I think it's the best division we've seen in baseball in years, plural, in fact. Maybe even de- maybe even decades. We're currently sitting in a spot where the last place team is the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are sitting at 500. If the Diamondbacks were in any other division, they'd be in second place in their division. So it just shows you how, what a juggernaut of a league the NL West is. The Dodgers, obviously the best team in all of baseball. I know a lot of Padre fans are over there in, San Di- uh, over in El Paso right now hearing me say this, not liking it. But listen, the Dodgers are just unbeatable and I know everyone thinks their first thought is oh yeah well you know they wouldn't have bought their team no they didn't I, I at the I know their payroll's high they did not buy this team most of these guys were developed th- and and disregarded uh, assets from other organizations Max Muncy was released and got a minor league deal from the a out away from the A's and he worked himself up to being Max Muncy Justin Turner was a cast off of the Mets he was a, worked himself on a minor league deal and did this the Dodgers had to trade massive capital of the minor league system to get their hands on Mookie Betts of which they eventually uh, ex- you know uh, sent up to a a good extension but at the end of the day the Dodgers capital that they've really spent has been their own farm system rather than going just signing free agent high-priced players that you used to see the Yankees do in the offseasons in the late 90s so the Dodgers are a self-sustaining factory of incredible talent as are the Padres now and now the Padres are willing to spend some money too I think the Padres are going to be right there neck to neck just underneath the Dodgers all season long. I think the Dodgers are going to win this division by five games. I think them, the Dodgers, and the Giants are all going to make the playoffs this year. These three teams are unbelievably good. Cody Decker with us here on Sports Talk. You're a uh, regular in Chicago. Thoughts on the Cubs uh, and the White Sox after the first couple months? 
Cubs obviously are a disaster. Uh, there's just no excuse for an organization that makes that much money. And I cannot stress this enough. Their IP, the Chicago Cubs IP, makes second or third most money in all of Los, all of professional baseball. They're right up there with the Dodgers, Red Sox, and Yankees. This is an organization that has an ungodly amount of money. So to know that their payroll is right around the center of Major League Baseball is a problem. And it's hard, hard pill to swallow for everyone on the north side of Chicago hearing that their team owner is out there getting ready to buy Chelsea Football Club while they're sitting there with a payroll right around the middle of all of the National League. That's a problem. As for the Southsiders, I love the White Sox. Even though they've off to a bad start at the start of the year, they're right above 500, but they're in a bad division. This team should win 95-plus games. They have the best pitching staff, arguably, in the American League, even though they're hurt at the moment, not having Lance Lynn, but Lucas Giolito's back. Dylan Cease has been the strikeout prop king of all of Major League Baseball. Their bullpen, Kendall Graveman, Joe Kelly, Liam Hendricks, that is as good as it gets. Not to mention, what's the young kid? Kopech went ahead into the ninth inning, nearly threw a perfect game against the Yankees in the Bronx. This team is really, really good, and they haven't even started to play good yet. I would put everything I got on the White Sox. I think that team's going to win the pennant in the AL. Quickly, uh, take on the whole incident between Donaldson and Tim Anderson. Donaldson is a douche. Okay. The end. There's a reason the guy plays on a new team every single year. The guy is an unbelievably talented guy, and I want you all to ask yourselves, have you ever had an inside joke with somebody you do not get along with and had a fist fight with seven days prior on a field? No. Josh Donaldson is a douche. Tim Anderson is the best player. Awesome in the world. I love him to death. Go Tim Anderson. Again, Donaldson douche. Have a great day. Cody Decker with us here on Sports Talk. All right. Uh, Your team, the Vegas Raiders, have given – Colin Kaepernick, a tryout, and a lot of people believe that the Raiders will sign him, that they'd be crazy not to sign him. As a diehard Raiders fan, your take on the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. If he can help the team win, yeah, come on. I don't care. I will take anything that will help this team win in the AFC West. Do you see who's in that league? I don't care if Derek Carr's a top 10 quarterback. Unfortunately, Derek Carr, despite being a top 10 quarterback, is only top four in his own division. My God. Yeah, any help we can get. Can Kaepernick be a receiver? Great. Go be a receiver. Can he be a tight end? Could he fill in and be QB2 every once in a while? Do whatever. I don't care. Sign him. It's going to be awesome, and it'll get headlines. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And if there's ever a team that would do it, you know it's a guy who's related to Al Davis. He's going to do it. Good point. All right. Uh, As we wind it down with you, Deck, uh, Adrian uh, is with us right now on the Zoom call. And I want to bring Adrian on because you were with us in studio the day we decided to make a movie list for Adrian. You were there reacting to the movies he had not seen. We put it all together. And thus, after your appearance, we have started Adrian's movie reviews, which are now sponsored by Alamo Drafthouse. And every day, he goes through another one of these movies that we we handpicked for him that day that he hasn't seen and and now uh, rates him. I think this is a wonderful thing. One, he's getting cultured. He's getting schooled. 
And he went ahead and got himself a scholar, uh, a scholarship. I'm going to call it a scholarship because I do feel like yes. he's like a young college student. He's got himself an Alamo Drafthouse scholarship, which is about as, as nice as it gets in El Paso, Texas. Trust me, I've been to that Alamo Drafthouse over in Montecito. I practically lived at that Alamo Drafthouse in Montecito. I went there every single night. I'm not even getting paid, and I'm telling people, yeah, go to the Drafthouse in Montecito and see every movie possible. I literally was there at that bar every single night taking notes, and I would see a movie, even movies I didn't want to see you're welcome for that free plug oh my god Adrian, great call on Shap- uh, slap shot told you by the way um just out of curiosity um and and i'm wondering about this uh you know adrian uh reviews movies with bananas okay so if mm-hmm. it's the golden banana he gives him 10 bananas all the way down to one i think two has been what's been the worst movie you've reviewed so far what what got two uh two stars okay let me look very I think it was like the fish out of bathtub or fish out of water, something like that. A uh, fish called Wanda? No, he hadn't seen fish called Wanda yet. I he wouldn't like a fish called. He wouldn't like a fish called Wanda. That's no. a, that's a that's a tough sell for him. That, I like a fish called Wanda. But a fish in the bathtub. That's the movie. I've never even heard of this movie. I'm good. I'm good on this one. Don't worry. All right. What else? You also did you also give another movie two stars? Oh, you know what he hated? He hated everybody's all American. Really? Yeah. I was okay. surprised. I not was surprised fan. about that too. He didn't like okay. it. Okay. Okay. Well, but it's not it's not making me go like, wait a second. You hated yeah. Back to the Future. It's at least it's not that. I mean, it, it's something. No, but his, he's only had I think two perfect reviews. Uh today Slapshot got the Golden Banana as Amazing. did Raging Bull. Wow. See, I wasn't expecting Raging Bull to get your Golden Banana. I would expect you to give him that an 8 or a 9, but not bad. Uh, I definitely agree on the Slapshot Golden Banana. That deserves if anything, this re- this award should be renamed the Slapshot Award. Mm. I'm with you on that. And yeah. I also think Evil Dead 2 was almost there. It was I know, almost that, a golden banana. I'm telling you, that movie, I was just talking with him because we were talking about the trilogy. Evil Dead 1, I can understand you giving it like a 5 or a 6. It's dated. It's low rent. Very, very poorly made. But Evil Dead 2, I can go watch right now. Like, right this exact second. It's hilarious. It's terrifying. Oh, and it's hilarious. I just, I can't get enough of it. Well, and the cool thing is, Adrian had never heard or seen Bruce Campbell prior to these these movies. Now you better be, you better be getting ready to get a Bruce Campbell tattoo soon. If I don't see Bubba Hotep tattooed on the left peck very soon in some Polynesian style that wraps around all the way around your shoulder and neck, we're no longer friends. I'm the president of the Bruce Campbell fan club. Yes, that's what I want to hear. Now you got to. Now he's got to go watch Burn Notice and get into that. Uh, that'll be coming soon. That's for sure. All right, Cody, it's been great having you. When will your next radio appearance be? Uh, my next radio appearance will be tomorrow. I'll be on six seventy The Score tomorrow for about an hour with Dan Bernstein on the Dan Bernstein Show. After that, I will have a new episode of BetMGM MLB Podcast powered by BetQL. That'll be available in podcast form on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Like, share, and subscribe. Monday, you'll get a new big time baseball for me, and Saturday, Bet for the Cycle live on the BetQL network. And uh, you know you can listen to it live on the Odyssey network. It's live on Twitch and video form. You guys can interact with us live on the show. We have a blast. Join me. Follow me on Twitter at Decker6. And check out all the home runs I hit today. We're at Dodger Stadium on Instagram, Antihero Baseball. Awesome stuff. Hey, listen, it was absolutely great having you back on the show. We appreciate the time and look forward to the next opportunity we get to chat with you, Deck. The only reason I'm even alive 
is because of you, Steve Kapowitz. I love you. You're the best. Adrian, keep watching good movies. There he is, Cody Decker, as we wrap things up here on the show, 38 past the hour. Uh, we'll take a timeout, come back, and then wrap up hour two. Stay with us. It's Sports Talk, 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of our final hour here on Sports Talk. Welcome back. We'll get you ready for that Chihuahuas game uh, with Tim Haggerty at the bottom of the hour. But, man, we are uh, thrilled to have this gentleman back with us because the truth is whenever I want to get any kind of uh, a scoop uh, in what's going on in professional wrestling, especially with the WWE, there is nobody better than Brad Shepard. He is simply put the best in the business. You can follow him on Twitter at It's Brad Shepard. He is also the host of Brad Shepard Unleashed, which is his own podcast that he started uh, not that long ago. And uh, it has really started to catch on in a big way on the Patreon network and brad is back with us for a return visit listen it's been too long great to have you back on the show and uh there's so many interesting uh off i guess out of the ring storylines in wrestling perfect time to have you back with us brad absolutely great to be here with you again and you know sometimes what goes on outside of the ring is better than what's written inside the ring a hundred percent. And sometimes what goes on outside of the ring is kept so, so, you know, tightly hush hush and under wraps. You don't really know for sure uh, what's going on, but you've got the, you know, you've got the sources that talk to you. Let's begin with everything that's going on in the WWE right now. And you think about how uh, you know, popular it still is. You still have Roman Reigns at the top and the bloodline and how that's caught on. What interests me so much with Reigns is is that for years the WWE tried to get him over with the fans and they had just they wouldn't take uh, and it wouldn't work and it seemed like uh, he was a guy that would never uh, you know achieve any kind of popularity then he turns bad starts this with uh, his you know with the Usos and suddenly as a bad guy it seems like Roman Reigns is probably more popular than he's ever been before in his career yeah, that's such a great point because uh, before, as a good guy, babyface, as they call it, you know, he really wasn't resonating with the audience. They weren't buying his character. Um, now he's able to be more of himself. He's more authentic. He's more who the person is behind Roman Reigns, and the crowd is buying it, and they like it, and they realize, hey, this is a guy who's legitimately cool. Uh, and, and so now the crowd has seen that evolution, and they respect it, and he's starting to get that mixed reaction of you know, some of the boos and some of the cheers. He's also dropping hints that he might be following in the footsteps of The Rock and John Cena and some of the wrestlers that have gone on to go to Hollywood and star in movies and uh, really even let crowds know during house shows that his days in the WWE might be numbered. Uh, is his schedule going to start reducing as far as uh, his workload goes? Yeah, it is. Um, so primarily it'll just be live event shows, so the non-TV shows, the non-premium live events, which were formerly called pay-per-views. He'll be doing less of those. He'll still continue to do the premium live events, for example. He's going to headline Money in the Bank. He's going to headline SummerSlam, their big show of the summer. Um, but just those sort of day-to-day live event shows that are not televised, he won't necessarily be doing uh, those. So, there is a reduction in schedule there, and there is a pipeline into the Hollywood market. And so certainly we may see that. Roman is 37 years old now. 
Um, so I think he is getting to that point where, you know, if there is going to be a transition into some movies, that would happen. I guess my question is, Brad, who's going to beat him? Because he's pretty much un, you know, defeated every big name that's come his way over the last couple of years. So who on the roster do you see that could actually take his belt when he decides to walk away and, and really go into Hollywood more full time? Yeah, that's a difficult question right now. Um, they've done a great job recently of building up Roman Reigns as a TV character. Uh, but when you look at who else there could be now, there's the veteran superstars like Randy Orton, who is still 20 years later doing a tremendous job. He's very over with the audience. But if you're looking for younger superstars, I mean, Austin Theory is someone. You ultimately have to find someone and put them over and stick with it consistently. But it's a big task, and I'm not sure who they have right now that could replace Roman Reigns. And, and so I think that's something they have to figure out. You mentioned Orton. They played off this week that he's injured with a bad back, and his tag team partner, Matt Riddle, was talking about him uh, to the crowd. I've been waiting and wondering if they're ever going to put these two against each other, but the last time I heard Orton in a uh, in an interview he gave Pat McAfee a few weeks back, he said that he loves Riddle, loves the character, loves the role, and he's happier now than he's been in years. Yeah, so the original creative plan was for uh, Riddle and Randy Orton to break up, right, and to feud with each other. But, yeah, Randy Orton decided, hey, I really like what I'm doing. I'm really enjoying this. So they held off on that. And now we have Riddle, who's being presented as a challenger for Roman Reigns. Um, so they've got Randy Orton kind of taking a back seat while that happens. And, yeah, absolutely, Randy Orton has has been tremendous, had a tremendous career, and he's having fun, and you can see that on TV. It translates. Brad Shepard with us right now. Again, uh, follow him on Twitter at It's Brad Shepard. That's S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Talks a little wrestling with us here on the show. All right, let's talk about some of the strange stuff outside the ring. I guess what happened uh, a few weeks back was uh, Stephanie McMahon out of nowhere announced that she was taking a personal leave of absence uh, from her job duties to handle everything uh, outside of the ring. Caught a lot of people off guard. Nobody expected it. You know, she doesn't have a ton of of airtime but she does so many things in a uh you know almost like a ceo type role for her dad and for the company um and suddenly people were kind of wondering is the marriage on the rocks is there more to it than that or is uh, she just you know like a lot of them need to take some family time when uh, she doesn't have a chance to be around uh, their girls as much as maybe others would yeah so this is very interesting uh going back to last year in conversations with sources inside WWE began hearing whispers of potential complications in her marriage to Paul Levesque, uh, a.k.a. Triple H. And at one point I was told they were staying in, in different houses. Um, and, and so I've been following up on that. I don't believe I actually reported that at the time. But that was right before the uh, heart incident that, that Paul had, uh, a serious heart incident where he almost died. And he was out of the loop in WWE for a long time. He returned to the office regularly about a couple of months ago. But it was a very serious situation. So I was actually told between the the health issues that he's experiencing and the relationship challenges that Stephanie needed some time. 
makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely right. Because, you know, they've been together a long time, married a long time. I know they have, I believe, is it three daughters, Brett? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. So Shane did it years ago when he decided to, to just walk away when he was a regular and focused on his family and some of the stuff outside of the ring. And you almost say to yourself, as, as much as it's the McMahon family business, you're, you, it's a, it is a basically 365-day-a-year job where you're always with everything going on with all the house shows, the televised shows, the pay-per-view events. It's, uh, you can't even imagine how... Everybody connected to Vince has to be just married to the WWE. Yeah, that's such a great point because you really do. And a source told me they believe Vince was probably disappointed in Stephanie for taking time off. But I know there was an initial falling out uh, between Vince and Paul Levesque. Again, this goes predating his heart incident, but... Right around the time that Nick Khan was hired by Vince, and Nick Khan has been wildly successful in his role. He is truly Vince's right-hand man. Uh, but he came in, and right before he came in, uh, Paul had cashed out uh, a lot of stock. And Vince took that as a sign of him not having faith in his hire and his decision in Nick Khan, who, again, has been very successful. So that created a rift. And, again, all of this timing was it was all very close to each other last year, um, and, it, and it's all led to, you know, uh, Stephanie taking some time off. Brad, the other big storyline is what happened about a week and a half ago when uh, Naomi and Sasha Banks, the two women's tag team champions, decided that uh, they were not happy with the creative decision of the Monday Night Raw show. They left their belts there. They basically just walked away. And what we never see happen on TV actually transpired where the announced team were critical of them, both Monday and then Friday night on the SmackDown shows. Normally, the WWE keeps stuff like that under wraps, but they went public and uh, were very, very vocal uh, about the actions of their uh, two tag team champs. Yeah, this was very interesting. There's been a couple of select times that in professional wrestling, a major company has done that. WWE's done it. When WCW was around, they did it with the Honky Tonk Man, kind of addressed that on Mean Gene Okerlund's hotline. So there's a couple of examples, but by and large, Absolutely right. They don't handle it this way. Um, they're kind of blurring those lines by referring to them as their uh, superstar performer names. And so a lot of fans weren't sure what was going on. But this is legitimate. They were pulled from live events through July. And uh, they had an, an issue with the way they were being presented as characters on TV. And so this is a legitimate uh, conflict. And they both have contracts that will be coming up as well. So we'll see how that plays out. It'd be really interesting. So I know they've been uh, indefinitely suspended and and pulled off the schedule through July. Do you think they survive or do you think they're let go? Well, I know being let go was on the table. I was told that directly, that that was something the talent relations department at WWE was considering. Ultimately, will it happen? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, they could freeze their contracts. Right, And so their contract is actually extended because they're not meeting the dates and the contracts required. Uh, so they could do that, or they could just let them walk. I'm not sure they would let that happen, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because this was a power move on the part of Naomi and Sasha Banks, whether you agree with it or not. 
Now WWE has a choice in their hands. And with AEW as an option for both superstars, you know, they do have somewhere else to go if they're released potentially. How is AEW doing these days, Brad? Is it as popular as it was a couple years ago? It's not. And I think that's the thing that with AEW they've had the most challenge with is growing their audience. I mean, Tony Khan is good about listening to that hardcore audience. Uh, in giving them exactly what they want. But the area that he's lacked, in my opinion, is developing that broader audience on a show. I mean, you've seen generally a year-over-year decline in viewership. So in some cases, he is struggling to keep those hardcore fans. But he's got to be able to broaden his audience. They just had the uh, TV upfronts for advertising money. Um, they were completely passed over as an afterthought during that, uh, which is never a good sign. So AEW has got to broaden their audience. They've got to be able to do what WWE is to last long-term, and I think that's their biggest challenge right now. You can follow Brad on Twitter at It's Brad Shepard. That's at It's Brad Shepard, uh, S-H-E-P-A-R-D. And you can check out his uh, Unleashed show, his podcast, uh, through the Patreon network. Tell me a little bit about Unleashed. If people have never had a chance to hear it, uh, what? Uh, how would you describe the show? Unleashed is essentially an uncensored look at wrestling and beyond. You know, we do dive into some dinner table topics that everyone can relate to or care about. The primary uh, function is to talk about wrestling, though, and we definitely do that, again, in a very uncensored way. It's honest talk, and and I think it's analytical talk. We definitely are looking at, at it from a business perspective. I think that's sometimes easy to forget for fans, but it is a business, and so I try to cover the business aspect in that perspective as well. Um, so you'll see a lot of that on the show, and we try to have a good time. We try to have fun because ultimately it's entertainment. So I would encourage you to check it out anywhere podcasts are available. Brad, we had a good time with you. Long overdue. We'll do it again real soon, and uh, thanks for coming on and uh, giving us a few minutes here on all the latest around the world of professional wrestling. Absolutely. Thank you. Brad Shepard, folks, as we continue. Come back with Tim Haggerty and get you ready for Chihuahua's baseball right after Charlie One, who's got this final traffic update for us.